Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage for today comes from Luke 21, 25 to 36. Listen for what God is saying to you. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, there will be dismay among nations and their confusion over the roaring of the sea surging waves. The planets and other heavenly bodies will be shaken, causing people to faint from fear or foreboding of what is coming upon the world. Then they will see the human one coming on a cloud with power and great splendor. Now when these things begin to happen, stand up straight and raise your heads because your redemption is near. Jesus told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the other trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, you know that God's kingdom is near. I assure you that this generation won't pass away until everything has happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will certainly not pass away. Take care that your hearts aren't dueled by drinking parties, drunkenness, and the anxieties of day-to-day life. Don't let the day fall upon you unexpectedly like a trap. It will come upon everyone who lives on the face of the whole earth. Stay alert at all times, praying that you are strong enough to escape everything that is about to happen to stand before the human one. May God add a blessing to the hearing and living out of this scripture. Thank you to Adam for his debut in scripture reading today. Well done. Um, Good morning, everyone. My name is Emily uh, McGinley, and I have the great joy of serving as the pastor here at Urban Village um, in in ministry and leadership alongside many of the folks that you see up front and and many folks that you don't often see but help us do what we do and be who we are. Um, Why don't we begin with a word of prayer? God, we are grateful for the gift that it is to come together to share stories, to Um, sing songs, and be reminded of the many and varied ways that you show up in our lives and around us. Help us as we enter into this time of reflection on your scripture to um, be inspired by the words and the movement of your spirit. So clear away the clutter of our minds and our hearts um, and help us to be in a position where our, our spirits can receive what it is that you are trying to do within us. And we pray for, for those families next door um, as they engage in conversation about Advent and as they learn traditions to practice together, that you would be with them as well. We lift up all of this to you in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. This past week, um, I read about how um, Rose Marcario, the CEO of Patagonia, donated $10 million in recent tax cuts to green groups who were working on climate change. 
And now if you've been paying any attention at all over the last few years, you'd know that there have been intense and repeated climate-related natural disasters uh, from Puerto Rico to Paradise, California, and, and far beyond all those years of climate talk are actually starting to feel like they might not be a hoax after all, right? Just kidding, climate change is real. Science is very helpful. And this is the kind of thing, right, that might have seemed ridiculous to feel like you had to say at one point, but we are living in a strange time. Uh, where so much of our existence and ways of understanding um, understanding the world kind of seems to be up for grabs. If it isn't the news accused of being fake, then it's caravans of fleeing refugees accused of freeloading. Former nations, once considered enemies, are now potential allies, and people are acting like it's perfectly acceptable to take a cauliflower, bake it, and call it a vegan roast turkey. I got love for my vegans, but this is no substitute for a turkey. It feels like we are in the upside down, for those nerds among us. But oddly enough, it's in exactly these kinds of times when things feel so totally off kilter and chaotic that we can expect God to show up, actually. This is what Jesus is saying in our passage this morning. Now, there are 24 chapters in Luke, which means that here in chapter 21, Jesus knows he's kind of like running out of time. He's in a bit of a rush to drive home the point about what he wants his followers to do and, and how he wants them to live in the meantime and in between time. Uh, after he's no longer with them. And in the spirit of what to expect when you're expecting, Jesus is like, hey, yo, there's going to be a lot of crazy stuff going on with the climate change and politics, and there are going to be a lot of people losing their minds over it. But trust me, these are the exact conditions when I am going to show up. Now, Historically, this passage has been interpreted as evidence of when and how Jesus will return. And frankly, I have no idea of whether or not that's true. And no matter what anyone else tells you, no one else knows either, okay? In fact, Jesus warns people about false speakers who will tell you when and how Jesus will return. So just like take what people say with a grain of salt. We're all just making our best guesstimate here. And even the people who the author of, uh, of Luke was writing to at the time were kind of like scratching their heads um, because the Gospel of Luke was actually written about 50 years after Jesus died and, and people were kind of confused at that point. Everyone thought that Jesus was supposed to have returned like yesterday, but it seemed he had totally holy ghosted them, <laughs> which is another way of saying that Jesus hadn't returned and that his Holy Spirit was supposed to help them figure out what was going on. They would much rather have had Jesus, you know, back there knocking on their heads like, hey, dum-dum, this is what I mean, right? But per usual, Jesus has more confidence in us than we really deserve. So whether or not this is explicitly about Jesus returning, the main point here is that things are going to get really chaotic and the world is going to feel like a total trip. And when that happens, look for me, Jesus is saying, because it's in exactly these kinds of moments and seasons when I will show up. And God showing up is what Advent, the season we begin today, is all about. Now, as we heard earlier, Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means arrival or coming. For Jesus, the season of Advent, for Christians, sorry, the season of Advent is about preparing for the arrival of God on earth, getting ready to welcome God to dwell among us in the form of Jesus. We're kind of like fluffing up the pillows and everything, right? It's a time of preparation, preparing our hearts and our minds and our spirits, lifting our eyes to search out the ways that God is starting to show up among us. And as we enter Advent, as we talk about God showing up, we're also taking time to explore what God is doing in that showing up. In the midst of a powerful empire led by a powerful leader, God creates this, this new empire 
an alternative empire with an alternative set of values and a truer way of being in the world. So we're beginning a new sermon series to talk about this alternative world and the values that God set into effect by coming to dwell among us. We'll also be talking about how we're going to be working to embody some of those values at Urban Village Church. Many of you know that last fall we concluded an 18-month church-wide audit to identify the ways that we are needing um, to live more fully into our commitment to be an anti-racist community. And after surveys, focus groups, and assessments, all with the guidance of our partners at Crossroads Anti-Racism, the audit team identified eight areas where we need to work, and I'm happy to provide a summary to anyone who would like a copy of that. Um, And at the top of that list of eight areas was the finding that white institutional values drive decision-making. What does that mean? What are these values? Well, the first thing to understand is that white institutions are not the same as white people, okay? White institutions were set up to consolidate power and benefit white people, whether they want it or not. I could talk about the Trail of Tears, Trails of Tears, Jim Crow, the Chinese Exclusion Act, Muslim bans, and of course, migrant caravans. I could talk about interracial marriage and loving versus loving and the constantly changing definition of who gets to legally be considered white, but that's a different history lesson for a different sermon. The bigger point I'm trying to make is that this is about cultures and systems, not individual people. Cultures and systems built over time, perfected and revised continually for that purpose of consolidating power and benefits for white people. And we are all shaped or misshapen by this culture and these systems, all of us. If you live in this country, if participated in public or private education even, if you vote or work or bank or buy groceries or clothes, you have participated in white institutions. We have. It is inescapable because it is the very fabric of our culture and the engine of our country. And so it should be no surprise that we have, in varying ways, absorbed the values that these institutions embrace and enforce. It's impossible not to. But then so what are these values exactly? Now our partners at Crossroads have identified four sets of white institutional values, um, either or thinking, secrecy, a scarcity worldview, and competitive individualism. The folks at Crossroads are clear to say that these are not the only white institutional values, but these are the ones that they've seen show up most prominently over and over again. And the four white institutional values have four corresponding sets of what Crossroads calls transforming values, both and thinking with a bias toward action, an abundant worldview that uses resources responsibly, transparent communication and decision-making that guards personal integrity, and cooperation and collaboration that that also nurtures individual creativity. As it turns out, these four transforming values correspond really, really well with what God was trying to enact in this world through Jesus. Unexpected values that God gifted to us by coming to this world in human form. Values which run directly counter to the world even that Jesus was born into and the frameworks that we have been trained to think in. Now in our passage for today, Jesus is trying to remind people again of these values and especially urge them particularly to resist either or thinking. So in the midst of environmental chaos, 
political confusion and social turmoil, we can see how we are trying to shut it all out, right? The hard conversations, the broken, breaking, or fragile relationships in our lives, the bigness of things that feel well beyond our control. So ultimatums give us a feeling something like control, right? If I can't be everything, if it can't be everything, then I don't want nothing, is where we kind of quickly go in our thinking. I can't deal with this, so I'm out. This is actually either or thinking. And this way of thinking is everywhere. We see its effects in our kind of broader conversations, right? You're, you're either for us or against us. Black lives matter means other lives don't matter. Seeking police accountability means being anti-police. Or if you're not perfectly in all the, perfectly woke in all the ways, then you're just trash. It shows up in our personal lives, in our inner monologues. If I can't eat clean, then I should just eat everything. I didn't do my daily devotional today, then, well, forget about the rest of the week. If I didn't get everything checked off my list at work or at home or wherever, I'm a failure. Today was a waste. We're all just one step away from implosion or explosion. The more and more tightly we wind ourselves up into that mindset, the smaller and smaller our imaginations become. And the more fearful we are. Jesus tells his people that things are going to feel like they're getting worse before they get better. And so he asks his people to do something that requires an incredible amount of emotional and spiritual strength. Stay present and stay committed. And it's hard. Don't check out. Don't pull away. Don't self-medicate, drinking, smoking, online shopping, Netflixing, social media-ing, swiping, overworking, or isolating. You could add to that list, I'm sure. Don't check out. Stay present and stay active. Jesus is saying, look, the world will be a mess and death will be everywhere. It's true, but it's also not true. Don't just look at the big things. Look closer. See what is happening around you. Look at the fig tree and all the trees, right? When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that God is still active. The cycles are continuing to turn, and life is still emerging. This is a sign that the kingdom of God is near. The world is hard, and our first instinct might be to shut it out and shut down. But this kind of either-or thinking completely shortchanges God's activity in the world and even more sadly causes us to completely miss God's invitation to participate in that activity. A both-and mindset says, yes, the world is chaotic and life can be overwhelming. And the world is an amazing mystery where powerful elements of life and hope are showing up among us where God is still moving. There are four people pregnant in this congregation. That is life. That is new possibilities, even in the midst of everything that might feel otherwise. I'm not going to say who it is. <laughs> so the world, there are a lot of things happening, right? In, in, in the big world, maybe sometimes it feels like we can't see it, but if we look close, if we stay local at least, we can see those little reminders that life is among us. Now, even last night, an evening of storytelling and music making, of sharing poetry and space with strangers at the Silver Room, of commemorating those who have died from AIDS as well as those who are living their fullest lives possible in spite of their status. 
The world is hard and the world is good. These two things can be true at the same time. They just can. The first week of Advent is about hope. It's about hope in a time of despair, hope in the midst of brokenness, hope in spite of everything around us that tells us to be hopeless. A world without hope is filled with extremes, as the poet Emily Dickinson said. Either this or that. You're in or you're out. America is first or America is last. The lines are so sharply drawn you'd cut yourself if you'd step on it. Hope rejects either or thinking and creates space for new possibilities. She says two options just aren't enough. There's a third way and, and maybe even a fourth or a fifth. Let's find out together. She says the way the world is is not the way the world has to be. So what if the most powerful government in the world or the most powerful leader in the world or even the local government is against you? We will find a way. Hope refuses to check out. And she calls us toward that work of both and, of inclusion and imagination, to see the possibilities around us, among us. How are you embracing the both and? How are you holding the pain of the world and finding joy in it at the same time? It takes spiritual strength and courage and commitment to resist either or thinking. It takes an imagination beyond our own, an imagination that would be impossible if God did not come to show us what it could look like, that it was possible. How are you living into that imagination? How are you ready to reject the limited either or mindset that you have been trained, that we have been trained to take on? How is that showing up in your life and how are you gonna work against that to dismantle that? That is a spiritual practice. Hope calls us to her work, to embrace the both and, to take on God's imagination and act on it, knowing that anything is possible, that the joy can live in places of sorrow, and our most powerful hope could come from the least likely of places, not the decisions of powerful people, but rather stunningly in a refugee child born to unwed parents fleeing a violent government. Let us pray. God, this world is not what we would like it to be. And yet you call us into it deeper to be agents of your grace, to be agents of your hope, to be mouthpieces of your promise. And so help us to do our inner work, that deep spiritual work of deconstructing and reconstructing the fullness of ourselves, deconstructing those places, identifying those places where either or thinking drives us into corners, drives others around us into corners, and then doing that work bit by bit to build something bigger, more generous, more hospitable, not only for ourselves, but for a world that so deeply needs to know your hospitality. Help us to embrace, to claim, and to live into the imaginative places that you have set free in this world, imaginations of hope, of transforming values for the sake of a world that so deeply needs to be transformed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
There was a time in the history of AIDS, the short history of AIDS and its presence, when there was a strange and kind of morbid industry that uh, came up in, the, in, uh, in, the, in its midst. People would pay um, someone who had been diagnosed um, with AIDS or was HIV positive um, a large sum of money up front in exchange for being named the recipient of their life insurance policy. And at the time, it was a pretty sure bet um, that the person who was making that investment would get their money back. But as we heard earlier, um, there are greater and greater ways of containing an HIV um, diagnosis and status such to the point where people can live full lives. They can get advanced degrees. They can have professional life goals. They can have life partners. They can build their spiritual lives and, and grow deeply in their spirituality. In fact, we have had many of those folks among us um, at Urban Village Church, and it has been tremendous to see this new chapter of life emerge to be seen apart from their status, to live their lives in a way that is beyond the next year or two or three. And yet, they will always be positive. No matter how high their T cell count is or how good it is, um, no matter how good they feel and how well they're taking care of themselves, they will always be positive. And so they live in this strange space, right, of being sick and being well of being alive but not far from death, they live in a strange kind of both and reality. And there are many of us who live in these both and realities in various ways. We could probably think about some of what those are even at this moment. Full of grief and experiencing joy. Happy and confident and yet an undercurrent of anxiety and doubt. There are this table is a table of the both and. It's where we are reminded that the fullness of who we are, all of our contradictions, all of our challenges and our polarities have a home here at this table and among the community that surrounds this table, the community of folks who came before us, the ones who are part of the body of Christ in, uh, in, in flesh and blood in this day and those who, will come, who are yet to come to gather around this table. We live, or we gather at this table of the both and to be reminded that we can be a people of both and. In fact, that is part of who we are and how we were made. And so there will be words, some words projected on the screen. For some of you, they're familiar, and some of them, some of you, um, uh, they're not. But they are words that have been spoken around tables like these across space and time, and that will continue to be spoken around tables um, like these beyond uh, our lifetime. And so I say to you, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise to a God who holds and in fact created the fullness of who we are and all of our complexities and contradictions. That same God who pulled from nothing everything, created order in the midst of chaos, and called us to be partners in the stewardship of that order. And as we lived into the fullness of ourselves uh, over the space of generations and time, we 
couldn't imagine that that, would be, that that could be okay, that these kinds of contradictions could live together. And so we began to get anxious, and we built systems and structures to try to make sure that at least the contradictions that we held felt more real and more legitimate than the ones that others held. And as God saw us building these divisions, building these systems and structures and values that so deeply undermine God's intention of wholeness of life for all, God said, let me show them what this could look like, initially sending prophets and priests and poets and artists to shake our imagination awake, to call us to accountability. And when that didn't work, God said, let me let me take on their bodies and let me, let me experience the challenges that they face and let me show them that even in the midst of all of that, this different kind of reality could be possible. And so Jesus came to earth in the form of a human self and, and laughed our laughs and told our jokes and built relationships and was betrayed and was fulfilled and was deeply connected and was hurt by brokenness. And somewhere along the way, he continued, uh, as he continued to build relationships and break down these systems and structures by injecting a new vision for life and possibility, God said, it is time. And Jesus knew that his time was coming to an end. And so um, on the night that he was betrayed, on the night that he knew his time on earth was coming to an end, he gathered his friends once again around a table to share a meal, to be reminded that even in the midst of all the pain and challenge of the world that we live in, this could be good, right here, around this table. And at some point in the conversations he was having with his friends, he took a loaf of bread, or maybe pita, he, blessed, he gave thanks for it, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, broken for you, because it is true, we live in a broken world that breaks bodies. Whenever you eat this, do this in remembrance of me, that I too stand with you in the brokenness. In a similar way, he took a cup and he poured out wine. Here we use grape juice in solidarity with our siblings in recovery. He poured out wine and he said, this is my blood shed for you. Because we live in a world where blood is shed. And so you do not shed your blood alone. I am with you in this as well. Whenever you drink from this cup, do so in remembrance of me. Holy Spirit, pour yourself out upon each one of us and upon these gifts of bread and cup that we might be reminded that even as we face the challenges of the world, even as we at times are broken by this world, that we are reminded that you break with us and that you, the author of life, mend us back together, bringing us to fullness of life once again.